0: Thank you. I know uh Aren't you glad you grabbed a church bulletin you can use as a fan in here? So, hey, don't forget, uh, in case you wondered, wondering, I thought we are going to have AC. We haven't addressed the AC yet. We've been able to push the wall back. We've got the carpet squares to fix that. And, and then um, as soon as the AC guy gives us the direction as far as what they're going to do, we'll get some more vents in here. So we're working on it. And um, don't think it's you and just God convicting you of your sinful life because you're sweating. Um, the uh, yeah, Happy Mother's Day, by the way those of you, so it always conjures up a lot of different feelings and emotions so we just throw that out there and uh, hope you enjoy a sweet day and uh, if you are Brand new to us, we're glad you're here. We walk in a series uh, on we've been walking through Scripture uh, for months now on First Samuel. So we walk through this not just telling you the excitement of the the story and the history of what's in here, but also there's um, there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty and promise in um, in. In, for today's life in this. So let me just, let me pray for me. Let me do this. And then I'm going to jump in and uh, I'm going to give you a little review in case you're brand new and you're like, who's King Saul? Who are these guys? Just give you a little five second review on that. So let me just pray for me that I'll get it right, okay? Jesus, thanks for this time, uh, Mabel, to open the word. God, I'm really grateful for it and really humbled. It's such amazing, godly people are in here and you get to speak through me. Um, Lord, we thank you. For the time we have, just to hear from your word and to know this word is with us at any time of the day. In every moment of our life, it's within reach. Lord, whatever you would speak through me, whatever you would put into the hearts of individuals in here, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's three major cast characters here today. King Saul is the current king of Israel. He has a son, his name is, anybody throw it out? Jonathan, his name is Jonathan. King Saul and Jonathan, um, who you would think Jonathan would be the natural next king of Israel, but oh no, that title has been given over to another man named David, who is about to be um, pretty much involved in all these, uh, the, the scripture uh, after this. Uh, in first and second Samuel, going to second Samuel, David has been the one who was anointed as a king when he was a young man. There was a prophet named Samuel who went to this house in the direction of the Lord, and Samuel said, that is going to be the next king, And it was David, this runt, ruddy pick of the litter of all his brothers who were who were bigger in stature. David is one chosen. So again, we have King Saul. His son Jonathan, who's not due to be king, but you have David, who is appointed to be king of Israel. So, last week, or two weeks ago, we saw that David killed Goliath. And as a reward for that, this Philistine was brought down. He was given three things he was given a lot of money, he was given one of King Saul's daughters to marry. And by the way, we later find out that she had some things going on where I think it was King. The king was kind of getting ready, to, wanting to get rid of his daughter to get married. Is what it was happening. Thirdly, people often say this is the best prize. He didn't have to pay taxes anymore for the rest of his life. So he picked up a wife named Michael. And she is going to be coming into play, uh, and it is coming into play here soon. So here we are. Let's break into chapter nineteen, verse one. We may stop, break down a few things. And, well, of course we're going to stop and break down a few things. That's what I do. So anyway, here we are. Chapter nineteen, verse one, First Samuel. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. So we'll leave that verse up there for a second, and if case you're not familiar with this, the reason that we see that Saul is incredible is wanting to kill David is because he's incredibly jealous of David. The people began writing songs number one on the top 40 list of Israel at this moment is Saul kills men by the thousands David kills men by the tens of thousands imagine being the king of Israel imagine being an insecure king and hearing this kind of verbiage hearing this, these kind of words so he's hearing this and he's thinking well gee whiz um, the the man who probably wants my title he wants my position so the king is very jealous before in last week's chapter there was a indiscriminate talk. It was It was talk of um, hey, let's undermine and try to kill David. Let's be sneaky and try to kill David. No bones about it, folks. Verse 1, we are entered into a new era. This is very clear, very clear cut. The king has said to everyone, go out and kill David. You know what I've missed? And I, I had to confess this last service, right? You know, you read these verses, you read them, you've, you know, I've read them, I have preached them, I don't know how many times. I don't think I ever picked up a foreign something. It said, and Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants, that they should kill David. You know what hit me is I don't think I ever really put in my mind that Saul wanted Jonathan to kill David. I never thought about that. I mean, I knew Jonathan knew of the plot to kill David. But at this point, it's like he's telling all his servants, every one of you, should you see him, should kill him. Now, I can only imagine what he's offering them. But he expects his son, Jonathan. Why is this a big deal? Jonathan and David have bonded as brothers and friends. If you want to hear, by the way, Shale when he preached last week, I was listening to it on Alligator Alley, coming back from like my cruise. And not to say I had nothing better to do than listen to your message on Alligator Alley. (laughs) No, but I want to listen to it and I was listening to it and it was probably, there is a 10 minute snippet on friendship. It really speaks to men a lot too about what it means to have intimate friendship. Folks, if you missed that last week, get that go down and, uh, on, the, on the Creekside website, pull it up. And that was a phenomenal piece. That was very, very beautiful. And so this, this friendship between Jonathan and David, the king expects Jonathan to kill him. How absurd. Look at me at uh, verse 2. Jonathan told David, Saul, my brother, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning, stay in a secret place, and hide yourself. Now, those of us who are adulterized, read this second verse, and we plow through it thinking, oh, well, this makes sense. Jonathan goes to David, tells David, David, um, my dad is going to try to kill you. He's looking to kill you. He's coming after you. Whatever you do, hide. Guard yourself, stay in a secret place, don't come out in the public, and we'd move on to the next verse. If you ever taught, a, have you ever taught a, a children's Sunday school class? Like I taught eight years in third grade Sunday school. You want the best questions ever, it's going to come from an eight-year-old child. They are about as open and honest as you can get. There's a time one time a kid called me over and I didn't remember his name. Cause I put my knee in his in the head after he said it. Now he say he called me over. He goes, "Hey, Mister Jake." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm thinking he's gonna tell me something I've been telling the story." He said, "You have dandruff." I'm like, "Yeah." And uh. Do You get this all the time. <laughs> well, you go to preach. You go to preach. You go to teach this story in a third grade Sunday school class. You're walking to this and you're excited. You're ready. A hand goes up in the air like, what is it? Why is Jonathan lying to his dad? I'm like, oh. <laughs> what do you mean? He goes... Well, the Ten Commandments say honor your mother and father. His dad told him to kill David. So he just went out and warned David that's not real nice. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) And so you sit there and think, man, you know, he's not honoring his dad and another kid shoots up his hand. That's lying. Liars go to hell. And the whole thing comes unraveled. (laughs) (laughs) And you look at verse 2 and you're thinking, man, I've got to explain this. I have dandruff. And so... What do I do? And so, <laughs> the beauty is this. Every one of us should ask a question like that when we read scripture. Scripture is inerrant. It's perfect. It's whole. And it doesn't contradict itself. So what does that mean? So let's, let's answer the eight-year-old's question. Why is Jonathan forsaking the relationship with his dad to protect his buddy? The reality in what Jonathan is doing is not just protecting his friend, not just in deception of his dad, he is honoring the role of the anointed next king of Israel. This isn't done to protect a friend. I'd like to think, in a way, kind of a moralistic feeling of feeling, this is what it's like to be in the trenches with someone and and always have someone's right. And this is somebody going up to David and saying, David, you are going to be the next king of Israel. You are anointed not by the people, but by God. And I will do everything in my power to protect that position. So that's what that is. And I think it's important to understand, why did that happen? Why is this going on? It's to protect David in that position. Next verse, verse 3. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. If I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he's not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. Now, before we continue this verse. This is one of the most effective ways to ever intervene into somebody that's committing a blatant, dark mistake or sin and some, where it's hurting someone, hurting themselves. This would be somebody who has bitterness towards someone and you have watched it just grow bitter and there's no good fruit in this person anymore. It's very sour and you want to approach them. This methodology is good. He does what we all have been wanting to do. Shout out to the king and say, would you stop treating David this way? So Jonathan goes up, he speaks well of David, right? Watch what's about to happen. It's about to get really interesting the next verse. He speaks well of David. Oh, go back, I'm sorry. Review, that was my fault. He speaks well of him. He talks to his father and Saul. He says, just let not, let not don't sin against your servant. First of all, he dresses him by king, and then he says, "Your servant." He's basically appealing. You ever get pulled over by a cop? First thing you do, you know, you, like, "Officer, I am so sorry. I'm so stupid. I deserve everything you're going to give me." You've it. You've it. Uh, you've appealed to his position you've acknowledged your mistake you're begging for mercy I'll do anything to get out of a speeding ticket I don't care if it means I'm like oh you look great you've been working out yeah I mean you're like I'll do whatever this he is using effective terminology he's a soul you know you're king my father why would you do this against your servant David because he's not sinned against you you're mad because others are mad, right? And because his deeds have brought good to you. Next verse. This is where it gets interesting. And this is a very effective manner, which you should address someone. For he took his life in his hand. He struck down the Philistine, and the war. The Lord worked a great salvation for Israel. Here it is. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause question mark. This is not a closed-ended question. This is an open-ended question that's going to elicit a response. Typically when you're upset, when you're angry, when you're yelling, when you feel like you're completely right, you look at someone and say, what you did hurt all of us. Do you not see that? That's a yes-no answer. Did you not see How could you not know in this particular case why allow the party to start to answer the question and begin to see this is an open-ended question it should elicit a response of reason and logic and what happens in the next verse verse six and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore as the Lord lives he shall not be put to death It's the end of the message today. It all works out fine. No. You would think this is it. The king just told his son, oh man, I I believe you. But more than that, he says, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. The king just invoked the name of the Lord and said there's no way he's going to die. Well, finally somebody spoke up for David, right? And you sit there and you look at this and you think, wow, this is going to, this is gonna stick this is gonna work verse 7 and Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things and David and Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before what does that mean as in his presence before what's this recap this particular scenario. Jonathan has a discussion with his dad, King Saul. King Saul says, as the Lord lives, I'll never harm the man. He's not going to be put to death. Jonathan says, thank you God. He goes out and he goes to to David who's hiding out in the field. He says, I'm telling you the, my dad didn't just promise me. He promised before the Lord. Invoke the name of the Lord. Come on, let's go. David right, goes back. He walks in. and he says he's in his presence just as before. What does that mean? He's in this royal court. He's hanging out in there. He's talking, and he's back to th- back to normality. It's got to feel a little weird. You got to remember, a couple times he's had a spear thrown at him while they, while, while Jonathan or um, Saul was drunk. He's chucked a spear at David trying to kill him. There has to be tension in the room. This is a man who David is probably still wondering why did you try to kill me? Why do you? Why are you jealous of me? I don't even want your position. I don't want these things look at the next verse verse 8 and there was war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so they fled before him this was nothing unusual there was a lot of warfare at the time and constantly being invaded and so what happened David is sent out to probably command a legion of men to go out into war and they did and what happened he struck him a great blow so they fled before him what goes on in the next verse verse 9 says then a harmful spirit from the lord came upon saul as he sat in his house with a spear in his hand and david was playing the lyre this was the, the lyre this is a harp so he's david played the harp a lot of times this was very soothing for the king to hear but something had happened. Winston Churchill said that it was, he always called it the elephant when depression would come in and move in on him. This harmful spirit is beyond situational, organic, or chemical depression. This is a place, a very, very dark place, where people sense incredibly demonic things. This is a place where hurt and pain reign. This is a place where sometimes you look at someone and see the absolute hell on earth they're living in. This is the spirit that's, in, that's dwelling in him. David is playing the harp, doing everything he can to make him feel better. I mean, you think about this. Does it hit you? What a waste of anointed power that is. This is the anointed king of Israel. What is he doing? Playing a harp. This is a man who could be commanding many, but the king wanted David right there, right within eyesight. Verse 10. And Saul uh, sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so he, he struck the spear into the wall. David fled and escaped that night. He does it again. He takes this spear and chucks it at David. David eludes the spear. And again, this time, David does what? He flees. He escapes at night. Folks, you could say, oh, he's drunk. I've been around enough drunks in my life to realize a drunk only does what they have in their mind to do when they're sober, but don't have the courage to do. This is somebody saying things out of the depths of their heart coming into the very flaming waggedy tongues of, 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 a, of a hurtful mouth. This was not a drunken reaction that was spawned at the last minute. This was something he wanted to do in his heart. This was bitterness and jealousy that had wrecked the king of Israel. So what happens? Verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. David's wife is also King Saul's daughter. Does not lose focus of that. In this case, she is looking at this scene and you start to think, Wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. She's now disobeying her dad? Verse 12. So, Michael led David down through the window. He fled away and escaped. So, what's going on here? There's a level of deception. There's another level. Here's a woman not honoring, not only, she's not honoring her dad. She's also not honoring the current king of Israel. She's hiding David. She's hiding David. She does something here that's remarkable. She, she tells him flat out, he's going to kill you. And she, more than that warning, she makes a nod of like linens and leads him out a window because there's messengers outside looking wanting to kill David. She leads him out. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is she doing? Again, you have to remember what the Lord is doing here is moving bits and pieces called personalities and making them do things to accomplish what he wants to do. I want to make sure we're all clear in one thing. And this is the beauty of this message. This is why we are a gospel-centered church in what we do. Here it is. The role, the hero, the person we point to, the crux of everything that's being done, in all this manipulation, all this strategy, is leading to one obscure, unnamed, unmapped village called Bethlehem. And in that place will be born and begotten out of heaven a Messiah. Everything being done here is not just to extend the life of David because he's a good man. It is being done to protect the Davidic line, the Davidic line, and, and the the lineage. It is being done to begin to usher in, in hundreds of years, an opportunity and a safe place for Jesus to be born. And so, all this is happening. All this is going on. David gets down on 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 these sheets. He goes uh, down off the window, verse thirteen. Michael took an image. And laid it on the bed. Put a pillow of goat's hair at its head, and covered it with clothes. Now, she, this image, by the way, is an idol. It could have probably been life-size idol. I mean, kind of, you know, kind of weird. This is, this is God's chosen man. This is man after God's own heart. David. He's, his wife has a full-size idol if not at least bust size hanging out in the house she did she was her own woman she did her own thing she had this idol but she looks at him and she says you need to run she puts this idol in the bed wraps the sheets around it takes goat hair now I always said David was a really good looking guy they even make statues out of him but this guy had some nappy hair when you think about it if a goat's hair would have been a good supplant for it. she puts a goat's hair on there and so what happens Verse 14. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, well, do this. Bring him to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with a pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go that he's escaped? And Michael answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So she's deceiving her dad again here. He calls her and he says, why did you let this man go? He's talking to her as a father to a daughter. Why did you do this? He said he was going to kill me. Why? I mean, he said, why should he kill me? I, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. He just did. <laughs> like, where did she learn this? Her dad. Her dad was one incredible deceiver. What her dad is doing here is something she's picked up. But we have to remember, everything that's going on here is being orchestrated for one important reason. David knows he is to honor God. David knows he's the anointed one. He has to stay alive. Jonathan wants to honor the position of the next anointed king of Israel and is doing what he can to protect them. Why is Michael doing this? I don't know. Other than maybe God just totally consumed her thoughts and actions and made her do what she did. That's what's happening. Verse 18. Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and he told him what Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. And it was told to Saul, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Let me... Go back to verse eighteen, if you could, please. David flees; he escapes. Where's he going to go? I mean, if you're if you're on the run and you're not being tracked or tagged or like under surveillance in modern times, where would you go? You go home, right? He. What's he going to go home to? His brothers, that never believed in him. I mean, his dad around. Where does he go? He knew to go to one place. It's a place where Samuel was. It was the man who years ago had anointed him and said, you are God's anointed, you will be king of Israel. He ran to him. And he goes to this place. And it says, um, go to the verse, next verse, 19. It says, uh, behold, David is in Naoth and Ramah. What is Naoth and Ramah? Um, This is a school of prophets. This is where young prophets would go and get educated. This is where a safe place to go with, with prophets that could talk to each other. They maybe would talk to God at this place. This was a dying institution because the days of prophets were going. But this was a place where prophets could freely speak of the power God had given them. And so there they are. And David knew this was a place I could go to. So, what's about to happen in these next verses. If you think this is strange, you're correct. It is strange. Watch what happens in verse 20 and 21. And then we're going to jump back to him. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of prophets Prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them remember Samuel is the, by now a very old prophet you know very respected man standing over them the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and what did they do? throw their spears at them? drop their spears? they run away? no they also prophesied next verse and it was told to Saul he sent other messengers and what happened to them? they started prophesying Saul sent messengers again the third time what happens to these guys they start prophesying they go back to verse 20 so you have to imagine let's get a clear picture in this David has gone to the only safe place he knows this school of prophets people who had the ability to to dialogue with God and relay that message to other people now you have messengers, three raiding parties coming in to, to get this guy. This is not the Apple um, tech support team here, folks, knocking on the door. These are thugs ready to do bodily harm and kill someone. And they have walked up, dropped their weapons, and began to start prophesying. Now you're sitting here thinking, wait a minute how are you How do you do this? How do you go from being an arresting uh, a, a party and an a, a, going out to arrest someone and all of a sudden you 're prophesying are you telling the truth? In the particular times in which you see the word prophesying here, it's called forth-telling. Prophesying doesn't mean you see the future. It wasn't like these guys were genies walking around going, you know, tomorrow you'll be hungry. or whatever. They're, they're, they're walking around with a direct connection to God and God speaking to them, right? And they were able to foretell things that would happen, tell kings this is what you do. But anybody... Could prophesy, which means to foretell, which means to praise God. These people, in layman's terms, were having church. That's what they were doing. They were praising God and speaking to the greatness of God. This is what's happened. You see it all the time. Here's what you got to be careful about. You ever heard the term jailhouse conversion? Like ah, oh, somebody gets Jesus in jail, and I, you know, well, I've seen what that looks like. And I've seen as a minister something that you know that's what happens you become a minister, you question things more than you should. You know, it's, you lose the faith of an eight year old, right? And you start to think too much. And you start ah oh, I get upset. I these people had a jailhouse conversion, when they had nothing, they were all wrapped up, they were tied up, that's what they did, that's what you know. They were No. It wasn't real. But then I think when you really start to look at it that moment was the realest experience those men would have ever had. And if you go to back to a jail where, where people had church and I've been in jail, I've been in jail visiting people and I've been in jail arrested, waiting to get bailed out. And I can tell you what it's like and I can tell you exactly what it's like to walk by a group of men praising the Lord and they meant it. They meant every bit of it. I could see the peace in their face. I could hear the joy in their voice. I could sense it. And so what happens when they get out and get back into society and they maybe find a minimum wage job and they miss the rent and they get their car repoed and they have to do something and they get back in jail? What do we do? Ah, oh, jailhouse conversion. or are fake. But for a moment in time, what they experienced was real. And for a moment in this moment, what these guys experienced it was real. They walked into this holy ground and they knew they were nothing at all. They just dropped everything. The king has heard this. I cannot imagine the the messenger who came back after the third party went out. Uh, Your majesty, well where is David? David Guys are, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're back. They're, they're, they're not back yet. Where are they? Oh, they're back with Team One and Team Two and David, and they're all having church. <laughs> they're doing what? The king at this moment in verse twenty-two takes off. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Siku. and he asked, "Where are Samuel and David?" This time now, by the way, he's after Samuel. And one said, Behold there at Naoth in Ramah. Verse 23. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And what did he do? And he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. Can you believe this? He goes, he's ready to, to wreck havoc. He walks up. And he sees what's going on, and he just simply drops everything. To verse twenty-four, and he too stripped off his clothes. He prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and night. Thus it said, "Is Saul among the prophets?" What does this mean? This is mean he when he takes off his coat. You got to remember, he's laying naked. He's laying there with his undergarments on. This is a this is a this is a sign of. You were naked if you went without your coat as royalty. Everybody had their coat. Jonathan, he had a coat. David had a coat. Your coat would not be something like you'd look and say, Brand, nice coat. It would be a a coat that would indicate ranking. It was a coat that indicated what tribe you were with. It was a coat that indicated kind of where your heritage was. And so by it, looking at it, you could tell, if you were a king, if you are a prince, if you are a royal nature. So Jonathan had a coat, David had a coat, the king had a pretty nice coat. He takes off this coat and just drops it. And you're thinking, where is this going? How could this happen? What, what, what happens to logical thinking men on a directive to go out and do something and all of a sudden fall down and start worshiping God? You and I know what it's like to be in a sense of safety and security and where we are. But the reality is, in many places of the world, it's very evident when you walk into a very, very dark spiritually oppressive environment. You just sense it. I can't explain it, but as you walk with the Lord and you begin to See things you can tell when you walk into a place, and there's just a, it just is. There's places in Tampa, I can tell you. I mean, folks, I didn't get saved till 23, and even when I did, I, it wasn't like a you know, Saul to Paul conversion or something like that. I mean, I was still in the, the awful. Darkness of a lot of things, and I could tell you. You want to ask me where there's some dark areas, and say I could tell you exactly where. Not just because okay, I got in trouble here or got in a fight here, or because no, I can tell you because I saw things there that I'm like even then blew my mind. Darkness, oppression. If you can have areas of darkness, if you can have the spirit fall on someone to wreck them into demonic thoughts. There's a spiritual realm. And as dark as dark is, you have to remember, light is as strong as it is. In this particular place, this was a place where people came freely and safely to be able to speak to God and to speak to others about what it was like to speak and hear from God. This land, if you've ever heard the term holy ground, was holy ground. And when these men walked up on it, they forgot who they were. Completely. Very few times we lose our minds anymore and think about things, about the grandeur of things. Um, Stanley and Livingston were uh, missionaries in in southern Africa. They walked up on this great waterfall known as Stanley Falls. You've heard of these falls maybe, some of you? They call it the... Uh, the I forget. It's kind of, you fly over it, and it looks like a forest fire. The force of the water—it's so much water, and the mist coming up looks like smoke. Well, Stanley had a very dry personality. Who didn't interact much? Didn't laugh? Didn't smile? Didn't be? He was very determined. Determined. Livingston was the one with the personality and the drive and the leader and the gumbo and. Stanley was never one who was impressed. He just dutifully did his duty. Doing what he could to bring Christ as much as he could to places and doing what he could to bring medical help. Doing what he could in every area. He walked up to these falls, he looked at them, and they say he they said he just dropped his things, he took out his knife, and he walked over and just started carving initials, his initials into a tree. And the party just looked at him and nobody said a word. Because in this place where I've been to these falls it is so loud it, that you feel it in your diaphragm. You just feel it here. You can yell to the person next to you and you can hear nothing. You're screaming and all you can feel is the breath of the person. There's no audible sound because the loud, the, the loud shaking of the water. Stanley would later write that it was at that moment he walked up and he was so in awe over something so majestic. He became a child. He just started carving his initials. He didn't know what to do. The spirit of the Lord when it falls on someone is something that's rare. Don't ever think you can attain it by choice and to go I'm going to pray myself to a place of just spiritual perfection. I'm going to get to it doesn't work that way. You and I are guarded from something. You ready for this? We are guaranteed the next life, but we are guarded from thinking about it too much. So we get reckless in traffic, folks, if we had a taste of what the next life in eternity will be. And sometimes you just forget yourself. When he drops this robe, he's simply saying, "I am not, <coughs> I'm not the king. I mean I'm not the, he was he just wanted to be somebody else. Handel when he wrote Handel's Messiah, have you ever heard Handel's Messiah played? And it's magnificent, isn't it? It's beautiful. The 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 orchestration is incredible. And then the choir singing, I mean, they're singing hallelujah, and there's one particular portion where they come to, it says, he is king of kings and lord of lords, and it's just crescendoing at this point, and the people are moved, and so Handel, who was near death, takes his symphony and his orchestra, and it takes over the charge of it, in his beautiful chambered orchestra air, um, uh, um, in, in England, I forgot exactly where in London, but here he is, and he said he was near death, and he's directing it, and he's directing it. He even said later, he said, I, I, I felt like God was moving my arms, and I had nothing left to give. He came to the point of king of kings and lord of lords. And there in the audience, in the royal balcony, was the king of England. The king of England who ruled over, this was, this was not the England that we know, a small well, island banking economy for the most part now This was the, the sun never set on the English empire at this point it was it, it, it spanned the circumference of the globe the most powerful man on earth the king of England is sitting in his balcony the song is crescendoing it comes to king of kings and what does he do he just all of a sudden he said he didn't stand he just found himself standing he was in such awe over the powerful name of God that the king stood and immediately everybody stood because the king stood. To this day, if you hear it in a church, if you go to an orchestra, you go to a presentation, you go to the master crowd, what happens when they begin singing hallelujah? of course? What do, what do people do? Stand. Still to this day, that tradition results as a day that a moment that the king of England was confronted with the absolute power and majesty of God. By words in a song that people were afraid to sing in front of that man. Because the power of God completely fell upon him. People will walk by and they said, Is Saul now having church too? Is Saul a believer? And all this is happening and this has got to confuse. Can you imagine the scene at this particular place? There is there is David, there is Samuel, there are messengers and arrest parties gone out. Now you have the king of Israel, all of them worshiping. None of this makes sense. All of us have a choice. Everyone is. Believer or non-believer, here's our choice. Ready for this? You can live by explanations or you can live on promises. The reality is explanations have logic and reason behind them. And you could look at an explanation, you could look at, the, at a formula, you could come to an answer, and you could look at it and say, that is where it ends. But there's also a promise. And a promise is something you and I live for. I, you have, I think it's important for us to remember this. Do you know the very worst thing could happen for us today? The very worst thing could happen to you and I. And our physical health is that we don't wake up. Or we don't come through. Or we don't make it. Do you know what we live for? We live for the promise of the next life. It's not a way out. It's not a caveat to give someone. Who, well, that's why God didn't answer the prayer. Because, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? How can you disprove heaven? You can't, right? How are you going to prove it? You can't. You, we live on the promise of this. No matter what happens to us as believers in Christ, we have a promise that we live for. You know what that means? That means explanations don't have a commanding lead or hold on your life anymore. You know what that means? That means the way Saul, when he wanted to hear a harp, get me out of this depression, play the harp. You know what a harp becomes? A harp becomes... Having materialistic things. Making sure to buy the nicest thing. Going on a cruise, because that's what does me good. Going to church. Being around good people on Sunday. All those things. Play the harp. Play the harp. Play the harp. And before we know it, we forgot what it feels like to feel the power of God. So... um, I forgot what university did this they they've they got an aquarium one time and they put, a, they put a mouse in there and they put another one and they had several mice running around then they intentionally overwhelmed the, this thing with a lot of mice and what the mice begin to do they begin to eat themselves that's what they begin to do I'm not trying to compare the magnificent creation of a human being to a mouse but we are no different we eat ourselves we eat our own we we sit there and we i mean you go on social media somebody dies and they put make a post you go in the comment thread what happens you got some bunch of satirical angry people making terrible comments they're like how what do you how do you do that how do you think that way it's like i don't think we will ever in this world ever in our lifetime see a moralistic revolution like just where the Democrat looks at the Republican just comes in to hug and say, oh man, I love you, bro. I love you too. I just don't think we're ever going to have that. I don't. I think, I mean, it could be a ne- massive national tragedy or worldly, global tragedy that brings people together. But I will say this. Within each one of you, there's a promise given. And here it is. Ready? This is worth coming for. Remember how Jonathan wanted to protect David because he viewed David as the next anointed one? And David survived because he knew he was the next anointed one? And the messengers were stifled and the arrest party was stifled because God said, that's my next anointed one. Why did he do all that? Remember to bring to Bethlehem the Messiah? Why did he bring the Messiah all the way walking, un, uh, walking with full intention to the cross why did he take him off the cross into the grave, out of the empty grave into walking around and into a bodily resurrection why did he do it? you ready for this? for you he did it for you you were the intended object of everything that's been going on everything that's been happening has been driven for this to come to save you They redeem you. This power, this power still exists. By the way, this power, when the messengers fell down and began to worship, this power, Jesus had this power every time he walked around. He walked around without fear all the way up to the arrest. Jesus was being, I mean, from the moment you had a king killing every child under a certain birth to the moment he was arrested in the garden, people were trying to kill him, they were stone, trying to stone him to death, or trying to arrest him. And every time, what the power of God do? Subdue him. Subdue him. Jesus would look at him and say yeah you never saw me yeah I'm not the one you're looking for he would just constantly do this and the power of God would move all over Jesus and then here comes a question and are you ready for this, this is good. think about this Saul in this, if you know anything about what's about to happen in the next chapter Saul all this moment of worship is about to be forgotten about tomorrow because he's going to wake up and be consumed with anger and be consumed with jealousy again why is that? he's no different than Judas Judas performed miracles Judas preached sermons and then what did Judas do? he turned in Jesus took his own life and before you think about it before you know it you and I are wondering in our own life how am I any different? I mean, have you, this is a good question for all of us to answer in our own minds. Have you had a time where you felt the presence of God, you felt the overwhelming sense of God come into your life, and then to only feel like you've felt, like you've delved into a place of darkness, you've delved into a place of doubt, you've delved into a place of failure? Has that been you? And is your mind, does your mind take you to a place of comparison to Judas, to simply say, am I any different than him? If your mind begins to condemn you, if your mind begins to do warfare and to place you into that place, that's called an explanation. And stop reaching for them. And lean on a promise a promise that God has that He will never forsake you or leave you, even when you have left Him. In everything we fear that we have done to divorce ourselves from God, God has said, you can do nothing to leave me. You'll forget it. You'll not remember what it feels like. You will question it or you doubt it. But I am with you always. You can lean on explanations. Or you can live for promises. The best thing you can do is simply to go up to God and simply say this. If there's bitterness in your heart... If there's an unforgiving spirit, if there's guilt and condemnation, if there's a continual darkness that you feel that has dwelled in you, the worst thing you can do is say, I'm working on that. The worst thing you could do is say, I'm going to try to fix that. The best thing you could do is simply become bankrupt and truly admit, God, I cannot control it. Jesus, would you completely take this and, and just take it over and show me what to do? That is a place where it begins a new start. Emma, I'm so glad you walked in because there's a story I told the nine o'clock service. I'm not going to call you up to sing. Don't worry. You looked at me like, "What? My name's not Emma today." But I was in South Sudan. We were in South Sudan. How long ago was that trip? Maybe eight or ten years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a little confession. We go to South Sudan. We do. Um, they're doing medical work. They take the. They take me, I can't even look at blood, right? And I'm working with some families. and We've been going to Villageville. They drop you off on a plane, see you in two weeks. And we've been going to these villages. And, and we're in the middle of nowhere. It's a very war-torn area, you know? And, and so we go to this one particular village right outside. It was right near uh, um, a cot, near the or maybe it was a cotton mower, I think of it, near the runway. And we get there, and there were soldiers out there everywhere. These soldiers, one of them, there was, they were rolling them around in dirt, and they, them, and they were whipping them, and they were whipping them, and rolling around, and there was like a tribunal going on. And there was just a heavy, thick sense of oppression. I mean, this was not good. This was not like, you know, oh man, I walked Harlem at night. You know what I mean? This was like, no, this was, you are, in the middle of nowhere, there is no, life is cheap. There is no rescue. Nobody's going to know you're gone till the plane comes and sees no one there and keeps going. This is it. Our team, you guys, um, of Anne and Ballerel, I think uh, Alan, Judy, Melton. You know, you guys start to set up and you start to do your medical stuff and the kids are lining up normally when you get there the kids are all under the trees they can't wait they're, you know, they're all excited the families are excited there's a sweet spirit I mean just walk up like ah, this is why I'm here I'm looking around going why are we here This is a bad read. We got time to get out. There's nothing good. I'm watching this tribunal, this military court go on where they're grilling this guy. My um, translator leans over and says, let me see the camera. Takes the camera. All of a sudden, a soldier walks up, cold cocks my translator. Bam. I mean, just bloody nose and everything and goes down. I pick him up. Nobody sees what's going on. I'm looking at my translator, and this guy rips the camera away from him. I mean, this, I'm talking the soldier's huge. You'd smell the liquor coming off of him. And he's just sitting there yelling. The tensions are getting thick. People are getting uneasy. People are, the, the villagers are, are starting to sense, no, 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 no. I really don't want to be looked like I'm a friend of these people coming in. Uh, and so they're, they're not taking it seriously. The men now have gravitated on, under their own tree, and they're just kind of talking to soldiers are getting louder, and I'm like, man, if this couldn't get any worse, you know, first of all, I'm looking over at Ann and Bala, the leaders of this trip, and I'm thinking, hello. <laughs> at any minute, would you use some discernment to figure out, this ain't going good. This isn't, I mean, there's got to be page 33 in a manual somewhere where you leave, if things aren't, you know, my translator's holding his nose, but everybody, Emma, you guys were just... I'm sitting here thinking, how oblivious are you? I mean, you're setting up and you're a little kid, and I'm watching a firing squad about this symbol over here, and I'm thinking this is not good. And then um make matters worse. You know the old term. Well, it can't get any worse. Well, it gets worse. Here comes a witch doctor. He's painted white. And I mean, kind of like Joker, white, you know, from Batman. Is white with these red things in him. He starts screaming. I mean, he looks like he's methed out. His eyes are bugged out, red, screaming and spitting. And I'm like, I mean, I'm just... (laughs) I'm stupefied. I'm sitting here like, this is how it goes. Like this is like this how I'm going to die. Like and like this guy, I couldn't tell if it was blood in his teeth or his lips. Oh, dye or paint. I'm like, he's screaming at me, and 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 then all of a sudden here comes. um, Al Melton. Al is a retired minister from New England. Talks real soft like this, you know what I mean? You know, with a Yankee accent, you know. He comes and he walks over and he talks. He goes to the guy. He goes, you need to leave. And I'm in my mind, I have, I have, I'm upset, you know, because I'm thinking. I'm rationally defending it. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I can take that guy. I can take that guy. I can't take that guy. Um, good, we know I can scoop her up. We can run. Everything in my mind. I have strategized this moment, and I have Al over there in Mr. Rogers' best voice going, you need to leave. <laughs> hey, you need to leave. And the man's like, he's screaming. He's holding his luggage, and he's imitating us. He's painted as a white guy, imitating us with his luggage, screaming. Yelling. And Al, again, keep in mind, where is everybody else still setting up? You're setting up like a flannel graph or something like that. I think you talked about those last I don't know what you're and Al goes, you need to leave. He says And Al just does this. He goes, Okay, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. In the name of and the guy's screaming, spitting, right here. He goes, In the name of Jesus Christ. And he's saying in the same manner, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. And after several times, you watch the guy's shoulders just begin to slump. And then finally, you saw the firmness in Al's voice. He goes, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave here. And it was a voice I'd never heard Al say. The drop. The witch doctor drops the luggage, shoulders slump, stammers back, and just walks away. The military stops their little tribunal. Within 10 minutes, the clinic's back in action. The soldier who punched my translator brings the camera back and just gives it back. Doesn't apologize, just walks over and gives it back. And the village was seen, ministered to, and under that tree one of our other oblivious friend missionaries dozens of people came to Christ and I saw what I saw and it was real and the power of God that I saw there is probably no different than the power of God that we see here and it's no different than what it can do in your life but we want to hear the harp being played that'll soothe us Listen to the podcast, read a devotional, but deep within the word of God in scripture that is at our hand is a moment that could be waiting for us. A moment in prayer that we could interact with God and say, God, I come to you bankrupt. I give you who I am. Maybe if we stop looking for explanations And instead start looking to the promises that God has for us. He will never leave you or forsake you, even when you've left your own self. What a promise we have. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that while society does have explanations, Lord, we as Christians do live by promises. And Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of, um, of your message to us. To God, these moments like that, that we just described in Sudan or just described in 1 Samuel, <clears throat> Father, they're not ordinary moments. Where we feel your overwhelming sense. Let no one in here be confused to think, Lord, that those are normal things. Those are times in which you you orchestrate father for the for the in-between time for the journey lord we ask that you give us the strength to your promises to guide us the promises to come to you empty and that you will fill our cup father thank you for those in here who are believers who need to take that next step of obedience and whatever it be Father, if it be baptism, if it be for trusting in you, if it means just coming clean with people they've held bitterness towards, whatever it means, Lord. And Father, for those who've never received you as Savior, they don't know what it means to be saved. Father, we aren't about pushing anybody into a decision they're not ready to make. But if there's someone in here who said, Lord, I've never trusted you to be my Savior, my promise that I'll hold on to, Lord, they would ask the person that they came with. Or ask one of us just how it's done. And within just seconds it can be explained. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And for, I left this verse out, but I think this is a good one to take away. Whenever we don't feel like we have the ability to do something, to fix a situation, we're overwhelmed Then, So it reads here, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Whatever those strongholds have, are that you have, the Holy Spirit is waiting for an available servant to usher in his strength. So stand together and let's worship one more song.